Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the beauty and the richness of it. Thank you for the depth of it. God, we could spend every second of the rest of our lives pouring into these words, and there'd still be so much ahead of us. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the infinite magnitude of who you are and the relationship that you've made available to us. So now in this time, God, I ask that you quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, release us from distractions, free us to focus on you and to hear you speak, God. Don't let these be my words, Lord. Let these come from you. Let this be your heart shared in this time. Let this be a time that brings praise and glory and honor to your name. We give you this message. We give you this church. We surrender all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue in Psalm 23. And in case, in case you've missed a couple weeks or a week or if you're unfamiliar with Psalm 23, Psalm 23 was written by a man named David who was a shepherd, went on to become king, and he wrote this psalm celebrating God as a shepherd. And I love that he's got that personal experience as a shepherd because it gives him insight that a lot of people aren't going to have. And we're going to see a little bit more of that this morning. But we start with, David starts with, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we looked at Yahweh, the power, the weight, the significance of that. And if he's our shepherd, by implication, we are the sheep. And we looked at surrendering to the shepherd, submitting to his will. And then we looked at I shall not want, how in God we have everything. There is nothing we lack for this life or for godliness. We looked at he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. We asked ourselves, what are those pastures? And we saw throughout scripture that that pasture where we as sheep are intended to exist and to thrive is firmly attached to the person of Christ. Right, yoked to him, learning from him, going where he goes. And when we, when we stay there, when we stay in that pasture, God restores our soul. He returns us to how we are meant to be, where our passions and our cravings are for him. And then last week, we looked at he leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Right? And we looked at how sheep are likely to leave the pasture. But if they stay in the pasture, they're likely to wear down the same path until it erodes and winds up damaging their existence. So a good shepherd would lead his sheep in paths to new areas of the pasture. He would lead them deeper, right? He wouldn't allow them to stay in ruts. And then we asked ourselves, what is righteousness? And we defined righteousness as a life lived rightly by God's standard, since God alone is the standard of what is right. So he leads us by his standard for his name's sake. And we saw throughout God's word, that this is all about God. There's not a single aspect of this that is about you or I. There's not a single aspect of this that is about anything other than the glory of God. So if that is the truth, then the only result must be a life defined by humility. And we wrapped up last week by looking at that truth that as Christians, our lives must be marked and defined by humility. And we concluded with some very practical ways to grow in this because it's not always easy or natural. And this week... We look at, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this is an interesting turning point in the psalm. Because up until now, we're halfway through, and up until now, David has written to God as he, right? He's been writing about God. He's been saying, he leads me, he makes me, this is what he does. Now David gets personal. 
and he begins addressing God directly. He begins saying, you. We also see something else interesting that marks the distinction, this halfway point. Up until now, David has been speaking in generalities about being a shepherd, right? People in that day and age, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. They would have understood, yeah, sheep, or shepherd provides everything for his sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The people would have understood, yeah, that, that's what, a sheep, that's what you know, sheep get from their shepherd. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, that's, that's what a shepherd does. We get that. And a, a poor flock, an unattended flock, would reveal an unattentive shepherd. So up until now, David has been speaking in generalities that a lot of people in that day and age would have understood. But now he starts to get very nuanced with it. He starts to get very specific with his shepherding references. And he really uses his own experiences and knowledge of being a shepherd to praise God. And I think that's such a, such a neat example, right? David doesn't try and write this psalm from the standpoint of a mason. He doesn't try and write this, this psalm from the standpoint of a potter. He uses his experience. He uses what he knows to celebrate God. He worships God as God made him. He's not trying to be anyone else. He's being genuine. And so I think even in the language of this psalm, we see that lesson of praise God as who you are. Don't try and pray like someone else. Don't try and worship like someone else. Worship God as how you know him how you relate to what you see in his truth. We see this in David's words, and he starts to get very specific in this. And I want to break this verse down. It's one verse, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I want to break it down into a couple key phrases, because we learn a lot in each of these phrases. And I want to start with, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Specifically, the first two words, even though. Right? Because David, I mentioned over the past couple weeks some realities about sheep. First, sheep are likely to leave their pasture. Second, even if they stay in their pasture, sheep are likely to wear down the same ruts. Now we see a truth about shepherding that David knew. Even though. David knew, as a shepherd, the time would come, and not uncommonly, that he would have to lead his flock through a valley. Sheep don't like valleys. Valleys to sheep represent everything they would rather avoid. Because when we think of valley, you know, we might think of like the really pretty pictures of a nice meadow that's wide open and it's beautiful. No, this is like a narrow, rocky, gorge valley. So sheep would not choose to place themselves in the valley. Because in the valley, you had a, chance of, you had a higher chance of flash flooding. In the valley, you had a chance of rock slides. In the valley, there were more nooks and crannies and crevices for predators to hide in. The walls were higher above them for predators to leap down on. So the valley to the sheep represented everything they wanted to avoid if they had a choice in the matter. I don't need to draw the parallels for you. There's not a single person in here who hasn't experienced a valley in their life in some way, shape, or form. A situation that you would not have willingly put yourself in. A situation that is tempting to be panic-filled, that is tempting to be full of fear and doubt and worry, right? But David says, even though I walk through the valley. He doesn't say, if I happen to, maybe I won't have to. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 
David knew that valleys are a part of life. But he knew that the shepherd had a reason for leading the sheep into the valley. Because that's the next thing that jumps out to me in that first phrase. Even though I walk, what? Through the valley of the shadow of death. Because just as David knew that a shepherd would never leave his sheep, or a shepherd would never bring his sheep to a valley unintentionally, David also knew a shepherd would never leave his sheep in the valley. The valley is never the end result. The valley is never the final destination. The valley is never the goal. David knew that there would be times when the shepherd had to bring his flock to a valley, but he knew that the shepherd would be bringing his flock through the valley to what lay on the other side. And we see this. We see this throughout Scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Wait a minute, Sam. That sounds pretty good. That's because we didn't have time to read the first 28 chapters of Jeremiah. Because if you read the first 28 chapters of Jeremiah, even if you read the first half of chapter 29, what precedes that verse is you are about to enter a massive valley. Things are about to get ugly for you people of Israel. You are about to think there is no hope. You're not going to be able to see a way out. It's going to get dark. But then God says, but I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. See, you think you're in this valley and there's no way this is going to work out well for you. But I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Don't focus on the valley, people of Israel. I'm bringing you through it. Jesus said the same thing to his disciples in John 16, 32 to 33. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Disciples, it's going to get ugly. You're going to scatter. You're going to be alone. You're going to think that I'm alone. You're going to wonder what in the world we could do from here. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, have peace, I have overcome the world. The shepherd doesn't send the sheep to the valley on their own. Hey, there's a valley. Hope you figure out your way through it. The shepherd doesn't leave the sheep in the valley. Hey, we're down here together. Let's, let's stay for a while. So the sheep might not be able to see the end of the valley. The sheep might be focused on how scary the valley feels. But we're being led through it. And we're being led through it for a reason, for what's on the other side, which we'll get to. We'll get to that in the coming weeks, and that'll be fun. I mean, this is all fun. Studying God's Word is fun. It just, it just is. This is a good time, right? But that's how David starts. He starts with, even though a valley is promised in life, multiple valleys, I don't know how many. Your valley might be longer than mine. Your valley might be shorter than mine. You might have more valleys than me. I might have more valleys than you. I don't know. But I know that there will be valleys. David knew that there would be valleys. But David knew, and I've learned in my life, that God doesn't leave you in the valleys. And he's leading you through the valleys for a reason. And that's what David says here. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's how he begins this direction to God. That's how he begins directly addressing God. He says, I will fear no evil. That's a pretty bold declaration, given how I just described a valley, right? Given how I just described a valley for a sheep, from a sheep's perspective, to say, I will not be afraid 
is a pretty bold declaration on David's part. But why can he so confidently say that? What does he immediately follow that with? I will not be afraid, for you are with me. It's the same truth that Jesus was getting at with his disciples. You will think I'm alone, but I am not alone, because the Father is with me. See, David knew that just like a shepherd wouldn't send his sheep to the valley, David knew the shepherd wouldn't leave his sheep in the valley. David knew the shepherd wouldn't say, hey, I'll meet you on the other side. David knew that the shepherd would lead his sheep through the valley, that the shepherd is always with the flock. And that is what gave David strength. That is what gave, gave David encouragement and peace. And once again, we see this start to finish throughout Scripture. So if you're feeling like a sheep in the valley, know this, you are not alone. You are with the shepherd always. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I love that it includes do not be dismayed. Some translations will say do not be discouraged, right? Because you may be sitting there, and I know I've done this, well, I'm not afraid of the valley. I'm just really down about it. I'm not afraid of the valley. I'm just discouraged by it. I'm just dismayed by it. It's never ending. I've been in this valley for the last 10 years. This is just depressing. It's not, it, I'm not afraid about it. I'm just dismayed about it. No, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We also see this earlier in David's life. This is 1 Samuel 17, 37 to 47. We won't read all 10 verses. I'll read some select few. But this is when David goes to visit his brothers at the front lines of the battle, right? The story of David and Goliath. Goliath is taunting the, enemy, or taunting the Israelite army as the Philistine champion. And David has said, Wait a minute, you guys are okay with this? I've got to do something about this. And everybody's like, no, you can't. You're too small. You're too young. And in 37, this is what David says. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. David was never under any illusions. David never once thought that he was going to fight Goliath on his own. He knew God is with me. I can't allow this man to say this about God. I've got to do something about it. Even though I should be afraid of this, I'm not because God is with me. And when David goes out, we see the Philistine react like someone would in that situation. Were there the valley who should win? The Philistine's insulted by it. In verse 42, When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. How does David reply? How does David reply? Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Isn't there a part, this is totally conjecture. Isn't there a part of you that thinks Goliath, when he heard that, laughed? Like David's like, you've got this weapon and this weapon and this weapon and that weapon and your shield bearer. I have the name of God. Right? Isn't there a part of it, like... I guess in my mind, I just picture Goliath saying, like, are you kidding me? This is going to be a slaughter, 
right? But David says, no, I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the, listen to the confidence in David's words. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Why? Why is David so confident? He knows God is with him and he knows the purpose. Listen to this. He says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Because David knew that it was all about God's glory. And God would not let his name be profane like that. And then this is interesting. Listen to what David says about his own people, about the Israelites gathered there. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. David knew that just like the world needed to see God's power, the Israelites needed to be reminded of God's power. Because the Israelite army was focused on the valley. The Israelite army was looking at this Philistine champion, this valley in front of them, and they were saying, we can't touch that. This isn't going to go well for us. And it took David, a child, to step forward and say, I'm not looking at the valley. I'm looking at my God who is with me. And I know this Philistine can't stand before the Lord of hosts. We also see this in Psalm 94, 14. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. In Isaiah 43, 1 to 7. Listen to these words in Isaiah. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. So this is God speaking, right? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Again, we don't see any if maybes or uncertainties. And we don't see any, this is it. This is your life for the rest of it. Stuck in the middle of the fire, stuck in the middle of the roaring river. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I Total time out. If you ever need to be reminded of who you are in God's eyes, read verse 4. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. It doesn't matter what anyone in this world says about you or thinks about you. Because that is the truth about you. That you are precious in God's eyes. And he loves you. All right. Time out. Over. I give peace. Sorry. That just, that just stuck out to me just now. I was like, man, what a beautiful reminder. I give men in return for you. Peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. In verse 5. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And again, that at the end, it ties back to last week. Whom I created for my glory. This is all about the Lord. It's about his glory. And in that glory, he promises that even in the valleys, even in the fires, even in the roaring rivers, he is with us. 
And because of that, he commands us, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, do not be discouraged. So maybe this morning you're feeling like you're in a valley. Maybe this morning you're feeling like you've been in a valley for a very long time and there's no hope of it ending. Please hear me on this. You are not alone. The shepherd is with you. And because the shepherd is with you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. And there's a difference between the emotion of fear and the spirit of fear, right? The emotion of fear is when Adeline and I were engaged and we're getting ready for our wedding and she calls me after a doctor's appointment to say, hey, they found a lump. That was the emotion of fear. You better believe I felt the emotion of fear. As we're getting ready for our wedding and the doctors found a lump. But we prayed about it. And I knew that the Lord loved her far more than I ever will. And I had to come to a point of realizing I will not be afraid because he has a plan for me in this. And he has a plan for her in this. So please don't hear me and say the Christian can never... I'm not saying Christians never experience the emotion of fear. I'm saying we have been promised freedom from a spirit of fear. We have been given freedom from allowing fear to dictate our lives. We have been given freedom from allowing fear to drive our emotions and our response to this world. We have been given freedom from focusing on our fear because we can focus on our Savior and on our Lord. The privilege of the Christian is this promise that we are never alone. That is a privilege granted to each and every believer in Christ that we are not alone. And that is how I want us to live as a church in that promise, free from that fear. And now David starts to get specific. He gets even more specific. After he says, you are with me, this is where he starts to show off his shepherd knowledge. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we're going to look at each three. We're going to look at a shepherd's rod, a shepherd's staff, and the idea of comfort. And first, you have the shepherd's rod. Throw this picture up there. So you've got the rod on the... Oh, man, I can't do this because it's one... you got the rod on the one side, the staff on the other side, right? <laughs> you all figure out your lefts and rights. You're, you're old enough. So the rod would have been formed. A shepherd would have gone out, and they would have found a young tree. They would have found a young tree that was still pretty thin around the trunk, and they would have uprooted it. They wouldn't have just chopped it down. They would have made sure to uproot it. And they would trim off all the roots kind of at the base where the trunk was starting to spread out and they would have smoothed it and polished it and formed it into a, a nice knotty club at the end. And then they would have left the trunk slimmer, tapering off, right? And it probably would have been, it could have ranged anywhere from about this short to about that short, but it wasn't very big, right? Like it certainly wasn't a walking stick. It was the shepherd's rod. And then the staff is the one we're probably more familiar with. This is the long one over their head with the hook at the end. They each serve very specific, distinct purposes. David knew this, and he saw each and every one of the purposes fulfilled by these two implements in what God has given us as his flock. And we see the distinct purposes of each of these implements in what God has given us as his flock. First, you have the rod. The shepherd's rod was used as a symbol to the people back then. A shepherd's rod would have symbolized the shepherd's strength in power, in might, in authority, in any situation concerning his flock. It was both a weapon for attacking and defending, for protecting the well-being of the flock. 
It also represented discipline in correcting the behavior of the flock. And third, a shepherd would have used his rod to personally and intimately know and examine his flock. That's a lot packed out into one little tiny piece of wood, right? But again, we see this. David knew that God provided all of these things. And we see this today. What do we see this in? What do we see power and authority and strength in any situation? What do we see a weapon for both attacking and defending? What do we see a means of examining and knowing the flock? What do we see as a means of disciplining and correcting the flock? Here's a hint. I talked about it last week. I said it must define our lives. It must be bound to our wrists, to our foreheads, to our hearts. The Word. We have God's Word as the shepherd rod in our lives. Ephesians 6, 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4, 12, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we have Matthew 1, or Matthew 4, 1 through 11. This is Jesus being tempted by Satan. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, he being Jesus, but Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and sent him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. We see power and authority in the word of God. We see authority in every situation. You see a sword fight occurring between the devil and Jesus. Satan attacks, Jesus defends with scripture. Satan attacks, Jesus defends with Scripture. Satan attacks, Jesus defends with Scripture, and then he pushes the attack with Scripture. And the devil has to flee. We see a weapon for every situation to protect the well-being of the flock. A sword does no good if you leave it in the sheath. Know God's Word. Let it be the shepherd rod in your life. What else was a shepherd rod used for that I said? It was used for discipline and correction. We see this about the Word of God, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness. You have a question about what you should do in a situation? Allow this to correct you and to train you. Psalm 94.10-12. He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. Allow God's shepherd rod to discipline and to correct our lives. Submit to its power and authority in every situation. 
And third, the final use of a shepherd's rod. And this was a phrase that was common in the time to pass under the rod. You actually see that phrase in Ezekiel. It comes up a couple times in the Old Testament. But with the Lord speaking, you see it in Ezekiel 20, 37. I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. See, a shepherd, sheep were covered with wool, right? I, I blew your minds with that. Sheep were covered with wool. Wool would disguise, wool would hide what was wrong with a sheep. So at different points, the shepherd would sit down and sheep by sheep, he would intimately and personally move through the flock, examining them. And to pass under the rod, he would set himself up at a choke point where he knew the sheep had to pass by him to get into the pasture, into the pen, wherever they were going. And to pass under the rod meant that the sheep had spent time with the shepherd and the shepherd had used the rod to move the wool around, to look down at the body of the sheep, to examine, to probe, to test, to find illness, to find weakness, to find any wounds. The shepherd used his rod to know his sheep so that he could care for them and love them. And again, you see David saying this. You see this in Psalms. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God loves you as his sheep. He wants to examine you. He wants to probe you. He wants to see where you're injured, where you're weak, where you need healing, where you need strengthening. We must allow him. Your shepherd rod, God, gives me comfort. I cannot say this enough. Be people who know God's word. Know this. Carve this onto your heart. Imprint this onto your minds. Let this define every waking moment of your life. And what else do we see? We see your staff comforts me. So if the rod was the symbol of, if the rod was symbolic of the shepherd's power and authority and strength, a weapon, a means of examination, what's the staff? The staff was symbolic of the shepherd's compassion. The staff was symbolic of the, the shepherd's tenderness, his deep heart for his flock, his love for them, his care for them, his attention and devotion to them. What do we see that God has given us today? We have the Holy Spirit who was promised to us. The staff was used to draw the sheep into relationship with one another. If a sheep got too far from the flock, the shepherd would hook it with the staff and draw them back into fellowship with the flock. When a ewe had its lamb, the shepherd would use the staff to place the lamb by the ewe so that they would know each other. Right? The staff was used for fellowship within the flock. The staff was used by the shepherd to draw sheep into fellowship with him. The sheep who were timid, the sheep who were like, well, the shepherd likes that sheep better than I do. I don't know the shepherd as well. The shepherd used the hook to draw sheep into him so that the sheep might know the shepherd better and know him more. The, she the shepherd used the staff to foster personal relationship with his flock. And he used the staff to guide the flock, to teach the flock, to gently direct them in the way they should go. Again, we have the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Listen to the Holy Spirit, how he's described. Acts 9.31, when you talk about drawing the sheep into relationship with one another, how a shepherd used his staff. Acts 9.31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace 
and was being built up in walking in fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You also have Ephesians 2, 22 and 4, 3 through 4. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's talking about the church again. Being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Guys, this is why church is such a big deal. When we as leadership talk about church as such a big deal, we are not talking about your attendance on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half. That is such a shallow level understanding of church. Church is the body, the body intentionally assembled. I mean, we are being built by the Holy Spirit for God. That's why it's so essential in our lives. If I were building a house, right? I'm going to build you a house. Yeah, cool. Mike's like, thanks, Sam. You built me a house. I said, yeah, uh, a couple things you should know, Mike. In the basement walls, I, I left a couple cinder blocks out. Like, there, there's some holes in the walls. And on the floor, there's a couple uh, joists, right? Those are the horizontal ones, joists. I got some nods. I, I left out, like, one or two joists. In the window upstairs, we're missing half the window. But you've got 90% of the house. Do you want that house? Is that house going to serve its function? No. Hear me in this. You are intentionally and deliberately a part of this church as being built by the Holy Spirit for a very specific reason. You are not part of this body by accident. It's why last week I said I hate the phrase church shopping so much. Because the Holy Spirit builds the church. The Holy Spirit draws the body, the flock, into fellowship with one another. And if any single one of us think they don't need me, you are sorely mistaken. This is a dwelling place being built for the Lord by the Holy Spirit. And do you think the Holy Spirit made a mistake when He picked you to be a part of it? The staff of God draws us into fellowship with one another. You have to know how integral you are to this body. We need each other. That's why church is a big deal. Not because it's an hour and a half on one morning of the week, but because this is a body, this is a house for the Lord, that if it does not have all its parts, will be incomplete. We are being built by the Holy Spirit. We are being drawn together as a shepherd would use his staff to draw the flock together. We also see the, sa the staff used to draw sheep into relationship with the Father, to teach them and to guide them, to instruct them. John 15, 26 and John 16, 13 to 14. This is Jesus speaking. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And keep in mind, God is truth. He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Romans 8, 26-27, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, 
with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9-13, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. God's shepherd's staff draws us as his sheep into a deeper understanding and connection with him as shepherd. The Holy Spirit leads us. He teaches us. He instructs us. He guides us. He draws us closer to truth, to know the shepherd. We see this in the Holy Spirit. And why do we have the rod and the staff? What does David say about them? He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is a couple weeks ago. Remember, I used the word comfort and I said, stick around. We're going to talk about why this word grates on me. Because we have utterly destroyed comfort. We have turned it into such an anemic, pointless word. It is so weak, given what comfort means originally and is supposed to mean. Here's the definition of comfort. Here's the modern definition of comfort as both a noun and a verb. Oh, goodness, I don't even want to read these words. Uh, God, yeah, we've got to. Comfort is a state of physical ease or freedom from pain. Comfort is things that contribute to being free from pain and in physical ease. This is the one that is just uh, tastes sour in my mouth. Comfort is prosperity and the pleasant lifestyle secured by it. And as a verb, comfort is to console or improve the mood of. What a bland, milquetoast word. You know what comfort originally meant? Comfort comes from two Latin words, calm and fortis. And it meant strength and power with. It meant strengthened by. So when David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, David's not saying this garbage about your rod and your staff give me prosperity and a pleasant lifestyle, free from pain or difficulty. David is saying, your rod and your staff, they arm me for battle. They strengthen me to face the valley I'm in unafraid. Because if you use today's modern definition of comfort, then what David says, in my opinion, makes no sense. Even though I'm where I hate to be, even though I'm at my weakest, most vulnerable, a sheep was at its weakest, most vulnerable down in the valley, even though I'm where my nightmare is, where nothing is going right, I can't see the end of it, I would have never chosen to be here, even though I'm in this place, I describe it as physical ease and freedom from pain kind of enjoyable prosperity. Yeah, right. There's not a single sheep that, if they could talk, would describe a valley like that. 
But if we operate from today's flawed understanding of comfort, that's what we come away with. But if we plug in the truth about comfort, that makes a lot more sense. Even though I'm in this horrible place that I wouldn't choose to be in, I'm not afraid because I have God's shepherd rod. I have God's shepherd staff. So I am strengthened by these things. I am armed with these things. I am ready for battle because of these things. So it doesn't matter that I'm in a valley because I'm prepared. That's what comfort means. That's what David is saying. David is saying, even though I know there will be valleys, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid, I will not be dismayed, because I know that my shepherd is with me, and I know that my shepherd is equipped for everything I will need to face this valley. I know that my shepherd has provided everything I need for predators, for threats, for whatever may come my way that makes me so uncomfortable, and that's what I take comfort in. That is what strengthens me to face this valley. Not myself, but my shepherd who is with me. That's what David is saying in verse 4. That is the depth of these words. So the response must be boldness. The response cannot be a spirit of timidity. I don't know if that's a real word. It sounded good. Timid. Don't be timid. We can't be afraid. We can't be ashamed. We must be bold knowing that even though I'm in a valley, my shepherd is with me. And so I will not fear. I will not be discouraged. So my challenge this week, remember when I said they were going to ramp up? I'm about to see how many people never talk to me again. My challenge this week, you want to talk about boldness? You want to talk about a valley that sheep don't choose to place themselves in? My challenge this week is talk to at least one or two strangers about God. Do we take God's command to make disciples of the end of the earth seriously? Are we willing to be bold enough to engage people in a conversation about the Lord? I'm not good at this. That's fine. God is. That's scary. That's fine. God's with you. So my challenge is talk to a stranger this week about God. It's incredible the conversations you can have when you just talk to random people about God. And don't get me wrong, a couple of these people, people have called me weird, right? There's a guy in Barnes & Noble. Man, you're weird. That wasn't my question. My question was, you want to talk about God? Like, right? I had a guy in a Starbucks line call me a weirdo. He was like, why are you letting me cut you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm doing a coffee run for my office, so I have an order of like eight, eight or nine people. You're just by yourself. I don't want to hold up your day. He said, why do you care about my day? And I said, because God cares about you. And he tells me to care about you. He said, God says that? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks. That was the extent of our conversation. I have no idea. It's not like I created the next Billy Graham. I just had an opportunity to tell this random person, hey, God loves you and cares about you, and because God does, I do. And maybe that planted a seed. I don't know. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that Apollos planted, Paul watered, but God does the growing. All I'm asking you to do this week is throw some seeds out there. Maybe you're going to plant some seeds. Maybe you're going to water some seeds that someone else planted a year ago. But my challenge this week is be bold enough 
to enter the valley of uncomfortable conversation and talk to someone about God. And to read, to go along with that, read Psalm 139. We just read two verses this morning. Read the entirety of Psalm 139 daily. And then if you're sitting there and you're wondering, man, do I really have to talk to people about God? Isn't that why we pay you? <laughs> right? That's why we... Look, man, we've got elders, so I don't have to do this stuff. Listen to Romans 10. I want you guys to read these two verses every day. Romans 10, 13 to 14. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That sounds good. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Sam, you can stop right there. Sorry, there's more to the verse. And how are they to hear without someone speaking? How are people to believe in the God they don't know about if we're not willing to talk to them about him? So my challenge this week is be bold. Say, yeah, you know what? This isn't a place I would place myself. But the Lord is with me, so I will not be afraid. I will enter into this conversation courageously. Talk to a stranger about God. And then let's share the stories of what he does and blow our minds. Because that's who God is. God who does immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. I'm under no illusions that it's under my power. I'm under no illusions that these conversations are going to happen under your power. It is God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. To him be the glory. So as we study Psalm 23.4, we look at the valleys and we look at the response to the valleys. That is my encouragement to you today. Be a bold sheep. Know that you are never alone. Know that the shepherd is with you every moment of your life. And take the courage and the strength from that because he has given us his shepherd's rod. Because he has promised us his shepherd's staff. That is all we need to face the valleys in our life with courage. I ran a little late, so we won't do a closing song. Um, I'm going to pray, and we'll dismiss. But please, read these passages. Study this. Know this. Join me. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the promise that we are not alone. I can't imagine how much daunting how much more daunting this life would be if we were. But I know that we're not because you have promised that you are with us. You have promised that you have given us everything we need and we thank you for that. We celebrate that. And so God, make us a bold church. Grow spirits of courage and fearlessness in our hearts. Not courage based on our own strength, but courage based on the strength that you provide for us. You are good. You are almighty. You are the alpha and the omega. Teach us to live in the confidence of that realization every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.